inside me. Now do you remember who you are? What you were meant to do? I cheated death thanks to you. Diamond Dogs! Our brothers are unavenged. And the phantom pain he brought us lives on. Big Boss is building a nation. One day he'll see through the lies he's built up. Realize what kind of man he really is. Goes around, comes around. Welcome to another edition of the Real-Time Strategy Podcast. We take the lessons and non-lessons from simulations from the tabletop to your computer screen. This week, we'll be discussing Metal Gear Solid V, Attack of the Endless Illuminati and Arms Controllers. Uh, Apparently, a very well-renowned game with lots of awards, with a convoluted plot that apparently involves uh, shooters on the uh, grassy knoll and lots of Illuminati and uh, that's everything that's evil with the world. Also, nuclear weapons. I'm sure Brett Perry and August Cole, two of our guests uh, who have actually played the game, uh, guilty admittance on my part, uh, <laughs> will have much better things to say. And I'm sure it's pretty awesome. It does look really awesome, really. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Lucien Gaudier here with us uh, as well today. So please sit back, relax, and uh, we'll get a quick word first from the First Lady of SimSec, my wife. SimSec brings you the best content on maritime security, technology, history, and international affairs. And, like the United States, SimSec is, and always will be, free. Sign up to become a member today by visiting www.cimsec.org about slash membership, which gets you daily emails of our articles and a WordPress account that sends your own writings directly to our editorial staff. However, admin, special projects, software, events, and prizes do cost money. There is a new option to make a voluntary monthly donation at the bottom of every SimSec article. No matter how you choose to support us, those who volunteer for leadership, our amazing content producers, our readers, our listeners, our conference planners and attendees, and our financial benefactors, we are incredibly grateful. Remember, Sea Control is more than just a podcast, and SimSec is more than just a website. We are a vibrant community built on a passion for discovery and discussion. Sign up, write, donate comment, or even leave five stars on our iTunes page. Join us today. Welcome back. 
to uh, Simsex RTS podcast focusing on Metal Gear Solid Series 5, as Matthew Hipple indicated in the intro. So before we get started, you know, we got the usual crowd here, myself, August, uh, Lucian, and, uh, and Hipple. So before we get started, for our new listeners, let's do just a quick round of short introductions um, so that everyone knows who we are. So let's start with August. So I'm uh, the director at the Art of Future Warfare Project at the Atlantic Council, where we're looking at video games as well as film and uh, novels, uh, other sorts of media to get better insight into the future of war. And in 2016, we're going to be looking beyond conflict as well to uh, foresight other strategic uh, issues in the international security environment, but still using some of the same methodology. We've done a lot of crowdsourcing. Uh, cre- you, know, you know, generating interest in uh, content that's uh, short stories, visual art. The uh, other thing that, I, that kind of, uh, I've been working on is Ghost Fleet, which is a novel that I wrote with P.W. Singer. And uh, we've used that as a kind of useful fiction to start thinking in a, a very kind of uh, tangible way about what the future of conflict is going to be like, particularly great power conflict, uh, a different setting than Metal Gear Solid, um, but one that is, uh, I think, important to kind of consider alongside uh, this sort of a scenario. Okay, perfect. How about uh, Lucian? I'm Lucian Gothier, enlisted sailor, member of the United States Naval Institute's editorial board, former member of the CRIC, uh, former member of the SECNAV's Task Force Innovation, and soon-to-be full-time student of philosophy. Perfect. And Hipple. Hi, I am, as always, your president of the Center for International Maritime Security and slowly edging into being former head host of uh, the Real-Time Strategy podcast as Brett takes over. Uh, I'm also an officer in the surface warfare community in the United States Navy, and uh, my opinion does not reflect that of the United States Navy, the Department of Defense, or the United States uh, government. I'm also now a dad, so I need to introduce my son sort of, uh, you know, through osmosis here into video games as I is he mindlessly sits on the couch and watches me play Siege. <laughs> Father of the year, right there, already said. <laughs> well, great. And uh, lastly, myself, uh, I'm Brett Perry. I'm a defense consultant in D.C. With uh, Like everyone else, I've always been a fan of video games, and especially the Metal Gear Solid series. It's uh, interesting, despite how convoluted the plot is. Um, so we'll get this started. I mean, the new Metal Gear... I mean, Metal Gear's been around forever since, you know, the PlayStation games, and it's always had a couple of different um, themes with its ridiculous um, plot. I mean, Matt was pointing out the Illuminati constantly in the intro. You know, that comes up, and then, you know, one of the most notable themes, uh, in the, especially in the recent, uh, recent game, is kind of the role that private military companies play in the world. And so, just to give some back, uh, just to give some context to our um, to our listeners who aren't familiar with the game, you the character as Snake, he has his own private military company called the Diamond Dogs, and basically they're in a Cold War setting. They're they're kind of in a secret war with the Soviets, while at the same time uh, engaging this kind of Illuminati, you know, closed conspiracy group in the that's kind of an offshoot of the United States government. That's the most simple way to explain it. But it really, uh, but it's interesting because of the role that um, you know private military companies play in this game. So in the most in the most recent one, an example is this Diamond Dogs. They have this, they have their 
they operate throughout the world, and as the player, you actually manage your own private military company, and it's based, you know, not in not in uh, you know Tyson's Corner, uh, Virginia, the United States, but on a series of off uh, you know offshore oil offshore platforms. oil there yeah. in the Seychelles, yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, so let, let's open it up with that. So, is the role of private military companies depicted in the game? Is that you know? Far, are we uh, is out of reality, or is there some well, first, uh, splinter, splinter? First, is there is there a hat tip to David Bowie at any point? I mean, they kind of ripped off his song as the name of uh, the mercenary group here. Diamond Dogs. <laughs> yeah, I think the you man who sold the, the world, the man who sold the world, is used in the in the game. Um, huh. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, the the when you play this game, you know, you're given a very different experience from the beginning. You know, the director, uh, you know, Kojima has just like a different aesthetic and look than, you know, what you get from playing other games like the Call of Duty series uh, or, you know, Rainbow Six Siege, which is out. Like, this is a very cinematic game. It's dramatic, and it has this almost like mystical realism, to kind of borrow a literary reference aspect to it, where you're doing very pragmatic and practical things in this game. You're sneaking around, you know, accomplishing missions while simultaneously running a private military company, you know, firing people, hiring people, trying to decide where to invest in terms of growing your business. But yet, at the same time, there are these you know, adversaries and kind of, uh, I don't know, almost like spiritual dynamics to the game that just have no grounding in reality. But that's kind of what makes it wonderful, because it's a reminder that, you know, as, as sort of serious as the game tries to be, that, that it really also is rooted in, you know, fantasy. And, uh, and it wants you to kind of think about the world you're in, I think, in a very kind of unconventional way, and, and just does such a great job of that. It's it's a daunting game, though, because it's so big, and it just takes a lot of time to play. You know, you've got to commit days and days and weeks, and that was one of the things I found when I started that uh, was really, really overwhelming and, and led me to, to actually stop playing for a while because I just, I, you know, when you have other stuff to do, you can't, uh, you can't play all the time. But it's, but it's a phenomenal game, and, and I think just so interesting, both visually and, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, the, the storyline. Yeah, just to kind of reiterate the, the amount of content, there's a big scene in the game where there's this you know climatic battle and you destroy this kind of this giant robot and you think oh that's done and you know there's a big closing scene credits and then it's there's like a trailer and there's like that's episode one here's episode two and you're already you know you're already 35 hours in the game so it just shows you know it's there's a lot of content and in here and it takes up you know a lot of time to try to, to try to do anything which really i think though is is a compliment as you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people, you know, see games like, you know, some of the Call of Duty games or other games, and they're like, are these really worth, you know, is it really worth $60 for, you know, a three or four hour campaign? And, you know, I think uh, the guys at Kojima kind of uh, nailed it here. Well, I think one of the things that uh, people, you know, talking about video game prices just asked, is it worth it? You know, how much money are you going to pay? You pay like $20 if you go to the theater and uh, see something for two hours, right? Um, and you play a game. I, I played uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, and uh, Metal Gear Solid uh, 3, Snake Eater, which I thought were two very different games and very cool and kind of speaks to his uh, uh, ability, Kojima's ability to really manipulate a cinematic experience. Um, as ridiculous, of course, as I alluded in the beginning, as, as some of the thematics are, uh, I mean, it's still it's still fun to play, but... If you have 30 hours into a game and you pay, you know, $60, I mean, that's a great 
rate on return if you compare the rest of the things that you'd pay for. I mean, <coughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I mean, think about think about how like the the cheap crap that we'll spend, you know, five and ten dollars on uh, in an average day, and how much more uh, in a well-made video game, of course, rewarding that return on on an investment uh, is. I mean, really, it's, it's it's good to think about things this way. This is August. You know, one of the things I really wrestled with this game is like, who are the good guys, right? I mean, it's really hard to kind of tell what the you know message that Kojima has. Uh, you know, your hero is a mercenary. He's doing the things that the government, U.S. government itself, doesn't want to do, but he's doing them, you know, with the idea of uh, almost more noble sort of aspirations in terms of, you know, I don't, I actually don't really understand totally what what his kind of end game is. Uh, uh, snake, but at the same time, there is something there in considering like how um, almost hazy, you know, the ultimate kind of question is like hero and villain. I mean, when you have a story, typically, you know, your hero is only as good as its villain. Uh, yet in this game, you know, obviously you can go up against an adversary with a skull, but you know, a skull face, but you don't really know actually. If maybe you are the bad guy. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that, that, that's um, you know a great point because. You know, I mean, you're you're posed with uh, questions. Game, you're, you know, you're asked, okay, do you develop a nuclear, or, you know, do you develop a nuclear weapon, or as a bomb? I mean, as a private military contractor, do you try to, you know, s- you know, scour for the resources to develop your own, you know, your own uh, a bomb? And I mean, some of the other things. I mean, the you know, mount. I mean, it's a very kinetic game in terms of what you're doing because you're going into, you know, missions and shooting people up. But at the same time, you know, you're sometimes your, your company is sometimes given contracts to go rescue prisoners or um, or rescue children. Uh, save animals. Like yeah, save animals. That's another thing. It's uh, That's actually a key po- potential revenue source is to, you know, work for groups like PETA to extract uh, animals from war zones in Afghanistan. So <laughs> potential, uh, potential uh, new model. Are you serious? Yeah. So if you Eric- got like a multi-million dollar potentially billion dollar mercenary company with like writs like uh, um, with uh, letters of mark from the United States government and you're jumping into Afghanistan there's like dead kids everywhere and like terrorists murdering people and you're like you know what I know there's a burning village over there let me go save that dog kids are like oh thank god you're here to save me and like no scrub get on my face and oh, I'm this dog. Dinner. yeah but but it's like a, it's a tool right i mean you yeah. think about the director of the game you know trying to introduce like a, a a human element or kind of an aspect of compassion you know the saving of an animal right is a pretty fundamental thing and i think it's one of those really interesting dynamics to the game that you just don't get when you play like black ops 3 or uh or, or rainbow six siege you know there is none of that kind of spectrum uh in that emotional level to the game uh, I don't, you know, know if that is ultimately something that can be done very often because the majority of games on the market, you know, don't do that. But you know, as a kind of window into the the national security, you know, environment. This is obviously a backward-looking game from the 80s, but of the future, it's it, it strikes as a more kind of credible sense that you have people who are thinking very tactically, right? You're again thinking about a mission. You're thinking about, you know, are you increasing the bottom line to your company? But at the same time, you have these kind of meta questions about like. Is what I'm doing right? Is it wrong? And uh, that's the kind of awareness and like sensitivity I think we have to have more of. Yeah, it's actually interesting because uh, you know in the, in the game it's or in the most in, in, in the most recent game that I mean Snake I mean his company is kind of 
they don't exactly have kind of the letter of mark from the United States as from what I understand in some of the previous games I mean you're there was a point where you know PMCs were kind of becoming very big and it was getting to the point where it was uh, you know concerning you know the United States and other governments and so they kind of you know at one point they were a tool but you know the next point they're almost uh, a risk and so we, we kind of see how the we kind of see how you know at, at least in the in the current game uh, snakes group is they're almost alienated uh, they kind of feel alienated from the U.S. They feel, you know, of course they don't get along with the Soviets. And in this kind of 70s, you know, balance of power, um, you know, era, it's um, – I lost where I was going with this. But it, it's, uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it uh, you know, it creates some challenges. It makes you ask, okay, you know, am I, you know, is – am I really, you know, a force of good here? And then, I mean, you also look at – like, like uh, I mean, there, there's a character. I mean, uh, I mean, when you bring on – when you reach out to characters, whether it's you know animals or in this game, you know the character Snake he reaches out and helps uh, this you know this this girl who's just a kid, and you know through a series of events she becomes kind of a you know collateral damage or you know she's you know harmed you know she's almost she's wounded severely just because and you know I mean she wouldn't have if she was not with um, you know Snake's group. So it's um, it's interesting because it it just kind of illustrates how August is, you know, right and how and this is one of the few games where you don't really know if you're a good character or a bad character, and if you're one of those guys that follows the series closely, you know that in you know other games, I mean, Snake is actually the bad guy in other Metal Gear series games. So it's uh, so it's it's uh, it's almost like it's showing the evolution of uh, you know Snake kind of gro- going to the dark side. But isn't I mean, he, you, you know when you're when he, isn't this different iterations of yeah. like there's Solid Snake, there's Liquid Snake, yeah. and then there's the boss, and then so I mean yeah he's he's there are people called Snake in other games that are the bad guy, but your version the scruffy beard dude Snake is either dead or a good guy. Well here's I mean here's the thing though I think that ability to you know play the bad guy is really really important. You know, from uh, being able to put yourself in their shoes or sit across the table, however you want to say it. And, you know, you can read a book uh, about a, a serial killer or, you know, the pursuit of a, you know, between a detective and like his suspect or, or whatever it might be. But, you know, it's interesting from an interactive uh, experience of a video game, particularly when you're committing a lot of hours and, and trying to think of these different levels, that it is helpful in that regard of like thinking about that role playing from a wholly different point of view, because it's not something we get to do in our daily lives. You know, in Ghost Fleet, we did this trying to think about what it would be like to be an occupying force that was not American, or how would we act as insurgents that were American. Uh, you know, I think this game is one of those few few opportunities you have to actually do some of that. And, uh, and it, to me, it's one of the things that makes it so appealing as a, as a kind of creative experience. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's something in which, you know, kind of being the bad guy, or are you the bad guy? I mean, this will bring, I know Matt's been, not a fan of, of how the game has approached this, but, uh, you know, a key part of this game, you know, is kind of weapons of mass destruction and arms control. You know, who has who has these weapons of mass destruction? What are they? And, you know, one of the, one of the you know, fundamental elements is, you know, should, you know, I guess, you know, it, it I mean, should, you know, non, non-state entities have, you know, have these weapons? So to provide, you know, context to our listeners, you know, there's a point in this game where, you know, you you have your own private military company, and everyone else has their own private military company that plays this game. And one of the key ways to stop people from attacking your base is to try to procure 
a weapon of mass destruction, so a nuclear bomb. And that actually it actually leads to a buildup. You know, all these different players are buying are getting their own uh, WMDs. But it's interesting because there's a cutscene. So say your your server, so like Eastern Coast of the United States, say everyone disarms and gets rid of their bombs. There's a special cutscene, and it's almost like you know, it's almost like victory for for everyone that's playing there. And it's Matt. I know you've been you, you haven't been a fan of that. I guess. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's interesting that you uh, said that the game is sort of backwards-looking towards the 80s, because I think, to a certain point, uh, it's also a backwards look at sort of nuclear arms and arms control. And you, uh, you know, you've got a lot of these like Global Zero and all these other people who have like one or two high, uh, high-profile people, and then a bunch of you know amateurs below that think nuclear weapons are scary and a few news clippings equals you know policy knowledge but uh, th- this whole idea where it's like oh the that's, whole world the harsh, whole concept oh well, it is you know <laughs> you argue with some of these people and they're like oh some grandmas got into a nuclear weapons base right because once they got up to the fence someone's going to shoot a bunch of grandmas okay that's not going to happen and all right, what are they going to do? Get in through the next three to four layers of security? Like people just that don't understand how force protection even works. Um, you know, but but that's beside the point. The, the point being is that it's this this idea that somehow you're going to disarm everyone of their nuclear weapons. And I think part of the aspect of the game is you have to use your military, conventional military force to somehow disarm people of their nuclear weapons. Like how does that even uh, – I mean that that's how it works, right? There's some meta game where you have to invade places and you can disarm everyone of their nuclear weapons, right? Some kind of multiplayer yeah, thing yeah, that goes on. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So today, since I know we're re- recording this, I logged on, and like within a couple of minutes, I got a notification that my base was under attack. You know, I didn't really think anything of it because I was like, oh well, he's what's he gonna do? Like, you know, steal a couple of things. And then I get back, you know, I finished my what I was doing, and I get back, and I was like, oh, by the way, your nuclear bomb was stolen. Huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way. Yeah, by the way. I mean, I was like, that was, and I was like, well, at first I was like, you know, kind of, I mean, I was like, you know, I kind of spent a lot of resources into developing that. And then it's like, there's no way you could just, you know, walk in and walk away with, like, a nuclear bomb. I mean, I, I don't know, but you know, truck at least. Yeah. I mean, not not to be like too you know literary about it, but I mean, there is this element that you know there is a generation of of technologies that are proliferating beyond you know just sort of nuclear slash fission, right? So right. you know the the chance to control any of that in the, again that kind of Cold War context where there was sort of almost a binary sense: nations either nuclear, or it's not, or it has you know biological and chemical weapons, or it doesn't. Um, you know, we're at that point, though, where there are other, you know, aspects of synthetic biology, you know, chemical and other bio, uh, even kind of the fissionable realm, that that this is like a theme that matters. And I think this this role of private, you know, actors in uh, both generating like that technology, controlling it, and whether it's holding on to it or losing it, is is a real thing. And and I think it's one of the good things about the game because it obviously you know attaches that issue to a fairly uh, kind of conventional construct again, a nuclear weapon. You know, you're running around in bases with that have Soviet flags on them, but but that's a very modern problem too. And I think that's part of the the, the kind of genius of the game. I mean, I'm obviously a fan of the game, as you can tell, um, and uh, is is kind of trying as it is for its sort of scope. You know, I mean, the game reaches big, uh, but I think that's the kind of thing that that should be you know kind of praised. 
So where do you think it reaches the most, but reaches too far? You know, I actually think it's like if you write a book, right, and you are asking someone to spend 20 to $30 on a hardcover, that, that's one level of, like, commitment. But, like, the time piece of it, you know, you're asking someone to spend 20 to 30 hours maybe finishing it. And it's a really difficult, you know, question with these games. Like, how what is, like, the appropriate level of, like, time commitment that, like, a game designer slash director should ask. I know someone in reviewing Far Cry was like, this game is just too big. I can't I can't play it anymore. I can't, you know, deal with this next generation of games because this person was a reviewer, uh, you know, encountering, you know, every week a number of games you had to kind of keep up with. And and I don't want to lose, like, the kind of epicness of, of a game like Metal Gear, you know, Solid 5 and to, to really more transactional games like... Uh, like uh, Rainbow Six Siege, but at the same time, there is this this aspect like you are expected to, you know, master the kind of tactical part of the game, but also do this difficult thing, which is like Sim City for mercenaries. And uh, I, I love that duality, but at the same time, it's like God, that's a lot of work. Uh, and and I, I'm less like concerned with kind of the political science or uh, the the issues around um, the way arms control. You know, Matt, as you were saying, like it kind of grates on your nerves, this question of like who should control, you know, what authority should state a state have over its, you know, arsenal. Um, I, I was thinking almost from like the player perspective, you know, th- that to me is almost the biggest reach. Like, you know, if someone's going to give a year to this game, like I think it's probably worthwhile, but that's honestly not how we play video games uh, and interact with them. It's like, a, you know, you had to give someone a year to read a book. Yeah. It's uh, uh, Matt, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, so, <sighs> You know, again, I, I admitted at the beginning uh, that I didn't play this game. So when I played, uh, when I played two and three, I got two very different vibes from it. Uh, the first one was definitely a stealth game. Uh, it was definitely kind of puzzles, moving around, trying to hide, going through facilities, like you know, ducking around, hiding in a cardboard box like an idiot. And but everyone else is dumber than me, so they see like box of fruit in the middle of the hallway, and they don't think anything of it. Um, but uh, but number three uh, was kind of a shoot 'em up It was a little bit... So the first one was a little bit more kind of James Bondy, and number three was a little bit more Rambo. There was a lot more like, I'm running through the jungle or facility, blasting things to pieces, I, can, I get access to heavy machine gun, and maybe it's just the way that I play, but I ended up just tearing through a lot of these levels like a monsoon of bullets um so how does this game you know feel because uh, i'm uh, you know part of what the way we talk about things is you know what what are the tactics like some of our problems with battlefront was uh, you know how it just it doesn't feel right like it feels very sort of casual sort of throw everything to the wind and and two and three had different dynamics sort of for different kinds of of battlefields what vibe do you guys get from from five so there's this aspect of it right you're playing the the storyline version of the game and you're going along at what you think is like a conventional first person shooter and then something totally surreal will happen there'll be uh you know the kind of appearance of these i don't know specter like uh foes and you just have no idea how to kind of overcome like the difficulty of that given phase of the game and you're it, on one level you're you know kind of frustrated because you were playing a normal game and all of a sudden just got really weird uh and then it reverts back to being normal again uh which is again i think i don't really yet understand why it is like that 
I, I really like it, though, at the same time, because it keeps you off guard. And I think that aspect is really, really important, that you don't know what you're going to get uh, when you're playing that storyline part of the game, and I think that's important. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, so Matt, to answer your question is, I think it's a, it's a step forward because it, it still has, their, it's great because there's a flexibility, and you, you can kind of play as, you know, if you want to go like Splinter Cell and, you know, sneak around bases and complete your missions without doing a shot, that gameplay, you know, that, that gameplay element is still there. And, you know, it's, and that's, you know, one of the rewarding parts because, you know, if you spend like 25 minutes, you know, sneaking in that base and you make it out, you know, that's, you know, as from a player perspective, I mean, you feel pretty awesome versus just going in and lighting everyone up in five minutes. But um, what's, uh, what, what this game has done though that some of the other ones haven't is it's I'm not going to use the I'm not going to say it's realistic but it, it tries to give it an authentic feel or a dynamic feel so an example would be is if you attack an outpost those guys you know they can radio for backup you know if they find a body you know they'll they'll um, they'll radio it in other outposts nearby will be alert they may send reinforcements but you know you can stop this you know by destroying their radios or you know blowing up the power lines or or whatever, and and uh, so I think like the the AI, it has it gives it a more dynamic field. It, you don't feel like you're shooting like um, you know paper targets, but I think August you know made a great point because you know after you play you know five or six missions of going against you know the Soviets, I mean you have them figured out. You know how these outposts works. You know where their comms are, and all of a sudden you have some kind of you know supernatural force that is way more powerful than you. And when I mean way more powerful, it's not like one of those guys that you can... It's not like Halo where you just, you know, your shields run down and you run around. I mean, these guys are legit, I mean, more powerful. It's almost frustrating because, you know, you have to call in a rock... If you call in a rocket launch, that will barely do anything. So it's... um, So I guess that the gameplay, you know, it, it feels... It feels uh, more dynamic, partially because of the way. I mean, the world feels like it's there. It doesn't feel like you're just shooting a bunch of paper targets. I mean, you know, you you, you see how the Soviets work. You see how these other PMCs work, and then occasionally, you know, the supernatural element jumps in and uh, makes you realize that although you're, you know, kicking ass here and there, you're not as powerful as you thought. Isn't that isn't that though with every Metal Gear game? Because um, two and three had a lot of weird bosses like that where all of a sudden you're being hunted down by a dude with a flamethrower or some flying guy that that can hear your thoughts um i mean there's always those kinds of of interludes where something where i mean i've i've heard stories not in versions that i've played where there's literally bosses that you can only beat if you look on the backside of the thing and like see the scene or there's like a picture in the manual that has a radio thing that you're supposed to call and you only know that if you read the instruction manual so i is is that really something something new because i mean even in even in uh even in three which was a little bit more cold war shoot 'em up you still had you know you're being you're shooting some guy and he's shooting your bullets down until eventually you figure out you're supposed to shoot bees nests on his head i mean they're all like that right well here's here's the thing say you know, I mean, August mentioned these these specters. I mean, there are these guys called skulls, and these guys are like supernatural. And I mean, there's, I mean, unless maybe, you know, maybe I've missed something, but I can't figure out an easy way to beat them. I mean, August, is there an easy way to to, to kill the skulls? I mean, they no. seem hard every single time. No, even if I get a rocket launcher, I'll shoot a rocket at them. That won't do anything. 
and now they all know my position and come swarming after me, and I'm just kind of screwed. But I guess, uh, August, you were saying something. Uh, one of the things that I, I found, uh, you know, interesting about that aspect is that, you know, it, it introduces this element of, like, uh, futility. And, and you know, I have that pretty much with every video game I play just because I'm not very good at them in general. Uh, but there is that sense that you're just not in control. It's like a way the director reminds you. And I think that's that's something that's important. But, Matt, I think you are right because there, there are a few instances, there are a few battles in the recent game where, you know, there's an example. There's a there's a guy that's on fire, and, you know, to kill him, you have to, you know, get him in water. So there there are a few there are a few kind of um, kind of rock, paper, scissors elements there. One other thing that's interesting about this game is, you know, we see a lot of futuristic shooters, but, you know, th- this, you know, the setting in this one is, is the Cold War. You know, specifically, you're either in, you know, Afghanistan or, you know, in the Soviet occupation or, you know, Central Africa. And, you know, at first I was a little skeptical, but, you know, it seems fun. And why, I guess my first response was, why are there not more games with this kind of Cold War setting? Well, I think like, uh, you know, Call of Duty Black Ops has, has done that. And, uh, you know, I think it raises this question of, you know, does a game need to be, um, you know, can you say sort of bigger truths uh, about our current world by, you know, existing in another? And I think that's obviously the case with like science fiction, what it does really well. And, you know, looking backwards is just a great way to do this kind of alternative history type thing. Uh, you know, this game does that that really well. And, you know, I think if you've played the other games, though, you do have more kind of cultural knowledge, which is important. And the uh, there's this uh, book, Ready Player One, which is sort of about a science fiction tale about kind of a video game culture uh, in a very dystopian America. But one of the things that's fascinating about that is kind of the, the geek knowledge that that book you know, makes it kind of competitive advantage. And, you know, this is the fifth game in this series, right? So you're talking about, uh, you know, people who have been playing these games for a long time and having some of these experiences, like you say, of doing the kind of surreal to defeat these big bosses. Uh, you know, my my kind of sense is like that's kind of an inside joke type thing almost, and that's part of, you know, what makes them unique. And uh, sometimes not always like as we want them to be, not always appealing, but nonetheless it's like a hallmark in a way uh and and it creates that you know it makes it hard for a newer you know kind of less experienced player to to do well but also to kind of understand you know what exactly is going on in the first place uh and and that's something i think that you know again the transactional part of a video game is important you come home at 2 a.m and play for an hour before you you know fall asleep or or those that you have to kind of you know dig into like you know we're talking before the podcast like tolstoy you know, to really kind of spend some time getting to know the imperfections of your characters. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it almost seems like, you know, when you jump into Cold War, I guess the Cold War setting, you're you're jumping into an environment, I mean, because when you think of the audience, I mean, most of the guys playing these games, you know, younger or, you know, they, they didn't grow up really around the Cold War. So it's almost like taking him off into kind of an environment that is not, that, that that's completely, that's different than, you know, what they're familiar with. But at the same time, you know, since it's history and, and uh, relatively, you know, recent history, you know, there's, you know, still, you know, some things that they recognize or it's, it's more of a, you know, relative history. Um, and so they're, they're, they're somewhat familiar, but it, it, it's different. And, you know, it's kind of neat because it, it kind of creates, it, it makes, uh, it kind of creates an opportunity from the director standpoint to, to, to kind of pursue a narrative that would seem, you know, that may seem wildly conventional in some environments, but, but, you know, here, you know, it kind of works. Um, 
because you know in this game it's, it's given that kind of that Cold War um, kind of mystique. I mean, the Cold War, you know, for a generation of people playing this game, will be like taking them back to Waterloo, right? I mean, you know, if you're born in '99 or 2000, uh, 1989 is going to feel like a very long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let alone kind of the earlier '80s when this game takes place. So, um, you know, I don't have that 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 I have, I have more a different historical perspective on it because of you know my age and stuff. But uh, the uh, the sense that this game is you know a kind of historical journey, I think, is is a good one because you know, there's not too many games that are that are really doing that right now. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, so in one of the areas of operations that you spend a lot of time in this game, it's kind of in and it's it's not specified where in Africa, but I assume it's sub-Saharan Africa, and it's during the 70s or 80s, and you know most of the advers- adversaries are other you know kind of PMCs operating in this area. And it's interesting because you know when you look at you know. You know, not everyone grew is you know as familiar with the Cold War, but you know most people are familiar with kind of the Afghanistan, the Soviet invasion. But when you throw players kind of in this you know African environment, I mean it's it's uh, you know it's something that you know most players are going to be completely new to. You know, it's uh, and, and it it uh, you know kind of pushes forth some challenges because when you're in Afghanistan, you know you're fighting against the Soviets, so you kind of know. What to expect? You know, you're going to see kind of guards that smell like vodka and look disheveled and, and etc. But in the African environment, you're, you're against you know these PMCs that are pretty souped up. They, they seem better armed and trained than the Soviets that you fight against in Afghanistan. And it's uh, you know it's it's a unique setting and it's and I, it's uh, it's one that we, we kind of see it in one of the Far Cry games, but. Uh, it, uh, you know, I mean, the, what, what's absent from this game is important too, right? There is no exploration of like, you know, fanatical, you know, religions and the the kind of contemporary, you know, way we think about conflict in Afghanistan. And you know, what Kojima does next will be really interesting to see if this game, you know, takes a, a different kind of approach to, you know, the as being kind of a, a reflection of, of current conflict. Uh, you know, to your point about Africa, I mean, that's as much about future conflict, right? I mean the kind of, you know, focus right now on trying to understand what's going to be the next domain. Uh, what are the, sorry, I'm playing while I'm talking here, uh, the multiplayer facet, which is, which is, huh. which not what I'm good at. Um, yeah. The, I, I uh, the same thing. I'm getting killed. <laughs> the, uh, but the point being that, you know, you know, the American focus on, on, you know, what's through AFRICOM and through soft missions there is, is real. Right. And PMCs being major actors in that is absolutely the future. Uh, in a way, the game is, you know, again, looking forward by, by looking backwards. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that phrase there, looking forward by looking fat backwards, is is probably one of the best ways to, to summarize this game because, I mean, it, it is weird because you're playing in the 70s and you're playing with, you know, PMCs that you would imagine in a year like 2040 or something. So it's 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 an interesting, uh, it's kind of an interesting alternative uh, history. But, um, so I guess... Matt, you've said you've played most of the, or some of I've the older ones. Two. You played I've two. I've played two. Okay. Yeah. And so, I guess from what you've seen, and, and because for me this was actually my first Metal Gear game. Oh really? Yeah. So it was. I, I didn't wasn't really know what to ex- expect, but I guess from what from what you see, because you know, like I, we, I said at the beginning, you know, when when you're when it's a pop when you have a popular game, you're going to see it all over Reddit and. It's gonna. You're gonna see videos everywhere. 
I mean, what's kind of your from from kind of an outsider familiar with the series looking in? I mean, kind of what's what's your take, I guess? Well, I mean, in the first place, the the first two are very much concentrated on sort of state-based conspiracies. Lots of, you know, who democracy isn't real, the world's run by a computer or it's run by the Illuminati or this or that, the other thing and secret gold and and you know, your commanding officer turns out to just be a simulation and you don't have any memories and oh my god. So, to a certain point, it it always the game was fun and the tactical level plot was fun, but once you got sort of to this meta environment you're just like what like this is ridiculous like so like no guys no this is insane um and and sort of looking at what i've seen of of five i mean it looks like a more satisfying game experience um because you're sort of shoehorned into these little missions in these previous games uh and correct me if i'm wrong but it seems much more sort of open world something that they tried in uh in three uh, but it was it wasn't so much open world as they just made the paths between missions kind of bigger. So you're like, ooh, you have to go enter from this point, and you're going to exit at the other point. But there's a big wide jungle for you to move around instead of just hallways and warehouses and and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, the the game itself it looks like it kind of has a cooler dynamic because you're not just this pawn, you know, you're not just a pawn in a game, and that's and that's what it always seems, and the Metal Gear, the thing is always like, you have this crusade, and you're gonna go do this thing, and you, you get betrayed, 24 style, oh no, you've been betrayed, and now you're on the other side, and, and then, you know, you've gotta do some other crazy thing, or destroy something you didn't know existed, or kill somebody that you thought was your ally, but turns out to be your enemy. Um, so at least from, you know, you run your own company, you do your own thing, it seems like you're more of a master of your own fate in this game than you are in all the others, which I'm, I imagine is a bit more of a satisfying experience. Kind of the opposite of uh, what they did in Mass Effect 3 and why I will never play 2 or 3, uh, because I want my choices, damn it. Oh, that's... Yep. Brett, you, you've got like some business experience. You know, what do you think of the kind of CEO of the you know Seychelles-based PMC on an oil platform aspect? I mean, does that seem like it resonates with how you'd have to run a real PMC or defense contractor? Well, it's it's definitely. I mean, it's you know, I imagine there's there's much more paperwork when you start blowing up stuff, but uh, it's it's interesting because. You know, you, you haven't. There aren't many games out there where you kind of like. Well, there, there's some, but I mean, this was kind of one of the first where you have your own private military company. And when you think about it, I mean, it, the scope. I mean, as we discussed, is huge. I mean, you have oil platforms. I mean, you have not dozens of guys. You have hundreds of guys. You have equipment. You have you know armored vehicles. I mean, so it's pretty. It's like Minecraft for Blackwater. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. Uh, but when you look look at the kind of the the at least when I look at kind of like the, the PMC business, it's, uh, you know, it seems like, you know, some of the big things are the not are the non-market factors. It's not just top line, bottom line for these guys. You know, you know, I mean, an example would be when you look at the guys, you know, doing security on ships uh, going by Somalia. I mean, all the trying to figure out, okay, what you know, how do we, in which areas are, in which ports can we pull in where we have arms or weapons, you know, how do we license them, et cetera. You know, so 
I think you know this is kind of one of those industries where non-market factors outweigh your outweigh um, you know kind of the you know top line bottom line revenues. And so I guess in this game it it takes that business concept and it just it, it keeps it very. Um, sorry, I just got stabbed in the back while playing the game. But it takes it takes that PMC aspect and it assumes that you know all those kind of non-market things are all taken care of. There's like I this, think this, in reality, this. I, I think in reality that's that, that that's that's not the case because you know you see got I mean you see companies like you know Blackwater under you know significant public scrutiny or you know a scandal comes out about how your troops are operating, and so it, yeah, but but conspiracy, Brett, conspiracy, <laughs> conspiracy, yes, of course, yeah, the, um, yeah, it uh, of course all PMCs are part of some conspiracy. You know, there's like this human resources aspect too, where you're managing not players, you know, you're, that you operate with, but you know, essentially like player cards, where you know people have like bad hygiene and you have to fire them. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> they will like erode the performance of your corporation. Or you need to promote people who have competencies in certain elements. And it's like kind of the Tamagotchi type thing, where you can't, you must be, you know, monitoring, kind of, you know, carrying and feeding the machine. Uh, even while you're, you know, you're not actively, you know, engaged in that part of the the game, uh, which is something that again requires you to kind of think at a couple different levels at the same time, which is, which is, uh, is challenging, uh, you know, because you can play like in this really, you know, transactional thirty minutes at a time sense, or you can try to get really deep into it. Well, um, it's the the managing part became really hard because there's a point in the game where, you know, this is where some of the sci-fi fantasy comes back in, but there's kind of a secret weapon that if infects people that um, it's like a biological weapon. It kills people that speak a certain language, and so your guys are getting sick at base. But since you're, you know, a multinational PMC, you know, you have guys that speak Afrikaans, you have guys that speak Spanish, Portuguese, English, and you've got to figure out, okay, wh- who's getting sick, which language, uh, you know, which lang, like who do I quarantine because, you know. People are getting sick, and you have to figure out who's sick and who has the virus and quarantine them. And that was probably one of the hardest times because, you know, I had a staff of 500 people, and I had to go through and figure out, okay, maybe it's everyone that's speaking Spanish, or maybe it's someone that everyone that's speaking, like, um, Afrikaans or something. So it it became – it uh, that that's where the HR aspect, I guess, became – I don't want to say tedious, but um, it, uh, you know, required you to pay attention – to um, kind of the, to I mean the list to your company, and you may not want to do that if you're at if you're home at two in the morning wanting to just go attack the Soviets, you know. When you look at like the the past you know 15 years in like Central Asia and the Middle East, I mean that, that you know from a business perspective that is one of the biggest challenges that you know private security companies have had is staffing, you know, and getting either the right people. Uh, Qualified, you know, the contract specifies you have to have a certain number of people with a certain background, and the reality is, you know, the handful of folks that that want to do that work are already engaged or too expensive to make any money on it. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting, you know, kind of contemporary part of the game that I think is overlooked by a lot of people if you don't really think about kind of again that that business aspect of of uh, the private military industry. Uh, but certainly, that's that's been one of the big challenges in the past, and it's not going away as a challenge for the future. You know, I think that that's definitely. You know, that's, uh, go ahead, Matt. Did you guys did you guys see Jurassic Park three? Yes, I did. So you remember that the the great part of that is when uh, they go with the mercenaries, and then when they all land, it turns out that all the mercenaries were sick, 
and one just like, oh, yeah, I'll just send my uh, CPA. Uh, he knows how to use guns. And then the one guy is just like the agent, and it turns out that they've just, through total happenstance, replaced all the mercenaries with, like, vaguely tertiarily involved dudes who can use firearms. And then, of course, they get run roughshod by dinosaurs. But it's just exactly talking about that difficulty of staffing things. I thought that was a funny little vignette in that movie when you think it's these three, like, total diesel badass special forces guys. And you're like, nah, y'all are just weekend warriors that work for the PMC. <laughs> it's uh... – well, it's it's funny because in the game your guys have different skills, like you know, the, and they're they're graded kind of on an A through A through F, and so you may be putting like you may have a guy like here's an example of an example of being a bad CEO would be having a guy who's kind of has an A plus and Intel, but like in uh, in F in supply or an E in supply, and putting him in supply instead of Intel, and so you know it's. Uh, it is funny because, you know, in the game, you actually have to staff your guys. It's not just filling slots with people. You have to staff your guys appropriately. I mean, you have to have guys that speak the right languages. So an example would be you could be doing a mission. You could capture a Soviet, you know, soldier. But if you don't have a Russian translator, then no matter how hard you interrogate him, he's not going to be able to give you information that you could use. So it's um What it's if you speak really slowly? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, you'll get a, you'll, it's when you, when you actually do, when that actually happens, they'll be like, "Hey, hey, Snake, just so you know, we don't understand what he's saying. You need uh, to get a translator on the Intel team." So it, it is interesting, and you know that is something that August pointed out that is a serious issue in the real world with these PMCs. I mean, you have some, I mean, you have some groups that, you know, just try to you know pass themselves off as you know as, as something they aren't, versus others, you know, that they really try to struggle and invest in putting in the right people for the right uh, in, in the right environments because you know different tasks require you know different backgrounds I, th- I think we're coming up to the, the uh, near the end of our time so I guess if if uh, if, if, if we want to go around and I'm trying to think of how to do this because I know Matt you haven't played the well I guess I guess what what if we want go around and we kind of say what our maybe our favorite element is and maybe our least favorite element or, or something that we wish could have been done differently. Does that sound like a, a plan? Sounds That's, good to me. It sounds good. I'll, I'll lead off because i got to jump off in a second. You know, okay. my, uh, you know, I think my favorite aspect is this double, this kind of like this, I don't know, double barreled, you know, part of it where you're having to think at this meta level about these bigger issues, good and evil, you know, while you're also trying to like run a business and, uh, and sneak around the game. That to me is stands out uh, from a lot of their games out there right now, and I think it's worth playing for that reason alone. And it's just a really, really you know beautiful uh, the cinematic aspects of the game when you get to those narratives are are really really unique. Yeah, I'll uh, I guess my my favorite element is I think you know I'm gonna kind of copy and say kind of that that PMC aspect. You know, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's kind of this like you know black water and steroids operate where in the world. You know, whether it's in Afghanistan, Africa, or wherever, and you know, deploy a bunch of guys. Um, you know, that that that's a lot of fun. It gives you, as the player, kind of, um, you know, a lot of, you know, flexibility and a lot of, um, you know, kind of this gives you this big sandbox to kind of create your own play style. As far as my least favorite elements, um, you know, that that's kind of a hard one. Although I will say, at the beginning of this game, there it, you're like in there's this hospital cutscene that goes on for like 20 minutes, 
where you have no control over anything except for your head. And so you're in a hospital bed just kind of sitting down, you know, look over, find out your arm's off. You know, then you see assassins come and they, they, they take the nurse and they, they start going after. I don't know. It seemed it's, it was it, it was very it wasn't hard. It wasn't easy to get into right away. I guess it uh, you know, you had to sit down and kind of give it the time. Well, I'll say uh, I'm going to go with kind of your thing there at the beginning, and that's the ability to sort of choose your own play style. Uh, there's a lot of games that are either or. It's like, hey, you're I um, like what is, what is that game? Uh, not Black Ops. It's got third echelon in it. It's Tom Clancy. Yeah, Splinter Cell. Splinter Cell is you either play it stealth or you die. Um, and that's the older ones. I don't know about the newer ones. I know that uh, there's a whole bunch of iterations I, I didn't end up playing. Uh, but at the beginning, it was very like, hey, you're going to play this this way. And then there's games uh, like Rainbow Six where you're going to play it. As soon as you enter a room, the enemy kind of knows you're there. And he's going to start shooting at you, and that's just you're going to have to deal with it. Um, they really kind of go out of their way in these games to give you the option of playing in different ways. If I had to say kind of my least favorite part, it's it's always the <laughs> it's just they they come so close to having kind of uh, a cool plot line and it is a cool plot line, but I mean there's there's like ridiculous and then there's just like what the hell is going on here. You know like Lost, like the end of Lost where they're like you have no idea what's going on, and then, surprise, we didn't know how to finish this game, so we just made it, you're all in, uh, you're all in purgatory, or whatever. You're like, what? Really? Yeah. That's writer, not a Writer's strike, write a quick ending. <laughs> right, exactly. Or, hey, uh, the Illuminati did it. The Illuminati did all the things. You know, great. Okay, awesome. So, everyone's being manipulated by the Illuminati everywhere, by some secret gold stash that nobody knows about. Uh, I mean that seems kind of like uh, with with everything else that they they put into the game that always seems like a cop out, you know like oh it's the Illuminati like at least you know when you look at X Files and my my wife and I started watching those from the beginning you're not quite sure who is who in this organization this mysterious syndicate that's doing all these things so even though you know hey okay there's an Illuminati crazy conspiracy element to this. It's like international, but there's different people involved, and some of it's like aimed at each other. And so you're like, that's ah, not so much, you know, one organization as sort of just a secret world that exists underneath the surface. And that's a lot cooler than just, you know, slapping the Illuminati tag on something once it gets so complicated that you don't know what's going on anymore. Fair enough. Rant complete. Yeah. Lucian, what about you? I gotta dovetail with what uh, Matt just said. Um, you know, there's plenty of there's plenty of reality out there to really base it on a good game. Um, you know, adding in the supernatural and stuff like that. I get it. It's a game. It's a game. But these, but you know, I, I maybe it's because I've lived a bit of it. But um, you know, I would just like to see them kind of stick more to reality. I mean, the whole notion of you don't know if you're the good guy or the bad guy, but at the same time, you're a company which has its own interests affecting geopolitical realities. Well, of course, you don't know if you're the good guy or the bad guy when you've got your own interests. What is it? The United States doesn't have any friends. It has interests. Well, the same thing with any company. Um, so they could have played up that that notion a lot more, I think, in the game line. And then additionally, I think it's a critique of pretty much most every modern narrative that Japan has. 
Um, but whenever they create a character, a main character, it's like they want to put them through so many iterations of uh, of impossible that they kind of <laughs> run out of content. Um, you know, first and foremost in my mind is uh, the entire Dragon Ball series, to where one thing just becomes more preposterous than the next. And I'm kind of seeing the same thing here in um, in these in, in this game, and then additionally in the uh, Ghost in the Shell series. You know, it's just these. You know, Japan just keeps trying to one up itself and has to come up with novel and increasingly improbable uh, plot lines to go ahead and, and, and keep interest. I don't know if that's a critique more of what the Japanese audiences are looking for or if it's just how they write narratives itself. But there's there's definitely some sort of psychology behind that in the, in the, in the narratives that they write. Uh, so I guess my, my overall critique is, I mean, the gameplay is fine. The gameplay has always been fine, even back in the PlayStation era. But it's just it's just on that meta level of what they're trying to do with the narrative that I just I don't know I don't buy it I don't quite enjoy it so much. That that was uh, that you know that was a much better rant than uh, than Hipples. I'll give you that. <laughs> that was a good wow. that was a good wrap up right there. Yeah, that was a good one. So with that, uh, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining. Next month we will be we will probably be discussing Tom Clancy specifically. Yeah. Six Siege. Rainbow so, Six Siege, Siege so, the Day, baby. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> Elba tells you all to Siege the Day. Yeah, Siege, siege the Day. Um, but, um, yeah, with that, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 